winter storm that took out the power grid, nearly nine million people still don't have clean water. Yeah. But don't worry, help. That water is nasty. After getting blasted for flying to Cancun when his own heat went off, Ted Cruz, Texas senator and Disney prince before True Love's Kiss, is now back in his home state doing the literal bare minimum for the sake of the cameras. Ted Cruz appearing back in front of the cameras. Not yeah, he spent the weekend helping Houston residents and first responders. He served barbecue to firefighters and police officers. Also delivered safe drinking water to folks who need it. Sorry, wow. This is not going to cut it, my man. See, this right here, this is the politician version of coming home with flowers the day after Valentine's Day. It's not nothing. Well, your ass is still sleeping on the couch. And honestly, I don't know why politicians try to pull off these lame photo ops. They basically just turn people who actually need real help into political props. And their photographers probably just make it worse. Yes, yes, that's fabulous, darling. Yes, yes, yes. Puff more, puff more like you don't have any food or water. Mm. But I don't have any food or water. Great, use that, use that. Yes, feel it. Feel it. Now, fortunately, most Texans do have their electricity back on now. So they can finally log on to all those Zoom meetings that really should have just been emails. But even some people who didn't lose their power are finding out that they weren't as lucky as they first thought. The desperation growing in Texas. Temperatures are finally rising, but so is outrage over absurdly high electric bills. Texans like Scott Willoughby, who signed up for gritty energy, not knowing his rate could vary with the market. So when power supply went down from the store, his typically $200 bill took off. What was the damage? Sixteen thousand seven hundred ninety-eight dollars, something like that. And this was not a bill. This was withdrawn. This was withdrawn straight from my account. In Fort Worth, the utility company charged Ty Williams seventeen thousand dollars. So we were held hostage, really, with our our rate that we were working with. Is really crazy. I'm trying to get, you know, gas and groceries and make sure that my pipes aren't explode. Um, the last thing that I'm thinking about is a $7,000 bill from my utility company. Wow, people. $17,000 for electricity? At that point, it's cheaper to literally burn your own money for warmth. There's probably one Amish guy on the street right now all smug as hell seeing this story. He's eating a homemade stick of butter like, I told thou so, bitches. Because seriously, people, at $17,000, it's almost not worth having any electricity. I mean, at the very least, you're going to have to make extremely tough choices. Do you charge grandma's oxygen machine or your PlayStation controller? Because, I mean, grandma needs the oxygen to live. But you can't just start playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla before you've united England. And I think grandma would have understood that. But the question is... Why are some Texans being hit with bills bigger than their belt buckles? Well, unlike every other state, it turns out Texas has very few regulations on its utility companies. And this free market system used to be the pride of Texas. In fact, a couple of years ago, Ted Cruz was bragging that the success of Texas Energy was built over many years on free enterprise and low regulation. But now, now that Texans are being charged $20,000 to toast a bagel, Cruz has discovered that regulation might not be so bad. Sunday, Senator Ted Cruz tweeting, this is wrong. No power company should get a windfall because of a natural disaster. And Texans should not get hammered by ridiculous rate increases for last week's energy debacle. State and local regulators should act swiftly to prevent this injustice. Oh, you tell him, Ted Cruz. The only Texan that should be getting hammered is me. At the hotel bar in Cancun. <laughs> so yes, Ted Cruz has reversed his stance on regulation like it was a flight path to Mexico. And I mean, let's be honest, nobody forced these Texans to choose the world's shadiest company for their electricity, but also nobody really talked about the worst case scenario when they touted the wonders of an unregulated market. When conservatives talk about freedom from government, they only focus on the good things, but that's not the whole picture. If you were running a zoo and you told all the antelopes, congrats guys, we're giving you all the freedom to roam around the zoo. That's good news. But it would be only fair to tell them that the lions are also going to be getting that freedom. <laughs> because that shit is not as good for the antelopes <laughs> as you make it sound. <laughs> hey, everyone. Welcome. My name is Jocelyn Ramirez, and I am the chef and founder of Todo Verde, which is a plant-based business based here in Los Angeles. America 
speaks to the manager. And if you're about to say, but Trevor, I just voted in November. The whole point is not to have to think about it for another four years. Well, listen up. Because if you don't pay attention, you might not be able to vote again in four years. False fraud claims are now fueling GOP efforts to roll back to restrict voter access. 33 state legislatures have already introduced 165 bills to restrict voting access just since last month. Wow. Restricting vote by mail after nearly 5 million Floridians voted that way last year. In Pennsylvania, Republicans are trying to roll back mail-in voting expansions they passed just two years ago. In New Hampshire, they're trying to require voter ID for absentee ballots while banning the use of student IDs. In Arizona, one proposal would even allow the legislature to override the Secretary of State's certification of the electoral votes. Oh. If they're not happy with the result, they can just change it. Yes. Oh. Republicans saw the record number of people exercising their rights to vote, and they said, yo, that shit cannot happen again. And some of these proposals are really extreme, right? This Arizona law would let the legislator just override the decision of the voters. Once that happens, what's the point of even voting? Arizona's gonna have to update their stickers. But hey, I get it, I get it. I mean, Republicans have to make it harder to vote so that they have a better chance of winning elections. The only other option for them is to change their policies to appeal to a majority of voters, but come on, that's way too hard. Human beings will do whatever they can to avoid changing what they think. And this has been the story for all of human history. People don't like changing their minds. My friends, it appears that there are multiple solar systems, many more than we thought. We have to change everything. Huh, yes? Or we could just burn you at the stake. Ah, come on, guys. So, these voter restrictions are popping up all over the country. You know, sort of like the herpes of democracy. But there's one state where Republicans are going harder than anywhere. The one that Georgia. just in the Senate. Yeah. Georgia Georgia. Yeah, I knew it. New bills Georgia. Access to polls in that that's that's voter suppression, y'all going against black folks. That's what this is. Instead of banning water, 
Republicans should hand out even more water. And then ban porta potties. Yeah, now you're evil and clever. Now, for the most part, Republicans aren't coming right out and saying that they're passing these laws to stop Democrats and minorities from voting. Instead, they're taking the big lie that they used in the last election and recycling it to try and win the next one. I do believe that, that voting in this country is a privilege. And, it's a right. And it's a right as well, but it ought to mean enough where you can put forth a little bit of effort in trying to cast your ballot. We're not taking away anybody's rights. Oh. What we are asking is we, we want a fair and honest election that doesn't have all the allegations that uh, we had in this past election cycle. Those allegations, baseless claims of fraud, were promoted by Jones, who was recently stripped of a committee chairmanship following his efforts to undermine the presidential election. Oh, that's impressive, man. This guy says we need new laws to address the bogus voter fraud allegations that he spread. What we have here, my friends, is a rare, real-life instance of a person both smelting it and delting it. I mean, for real, though, this is ridiculous. If you're going to make up evidence out of thin air and use it against black people, you should not be a lawmaker. You go join the police. The January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. The day white supremacists entered the Capitol without having to get elected. Yesterday, Congress held its first hearings on what went wrong with security that day. And the testimony from the people in charge was not encouraging. Former Capitol Hill security officials and the acting chief of the D.C. Metropolitan Police were counting the January 6th insurrection, highlighting major communication failures that led to the deadly riots. The day before the insurrection, an FBI memo explicitly warning about the possibility of violence was sent via email, but never made its way to leadership. Here's the intelligence. Be ready to fight. Congress needs to hear glass breaking, doors being kicked in, and blood from their BLM and Antifa slave soldiers being spilled. Get violent. Stop calling this a march or a rally or a protest. Go there ready for war. We get our president or we die. I would certainly think that something as violent as an insurrection in the Capitol uh, would warrant um, you know, a phone call or something. Yeah, man, I agree with this. In fact, this was the first time in history an email should have been a meeting. Email is the least effective way to get an emergency yeah, message for real. anybody. It goes text, DM, message in a bottle that you throw into the ocean, and then email. And if it's really not important, a phone call. I mean, this was an attempted overthrow of the government. It's kind of important that they hear about it. I'm just saying, like, if it was me... I would have sent an edible arrangement. You know how I know email isn't an effective way to get someone's attention? Because whenever you send an email, what do you have to do immediately after that? You have to send a text asking, did you get my email? The problem with email is that we just get so many. You know, it's, it's easy to miss the one that says insurrection at the Capitol. You know, because it might be below another email with three siren emojis like, last chance for 10% off colored contact lenses. And I mean, I know which one's getting my attention. Ladies... But yesterday's hearing was just the beginning of a long process. I mean, President Trump incited a mob that stormed the Capitol, chanting, hang Mike Pence. That's something that was super upsetting to everyone. Well, almost everyone. Former Vice President Mike Pence is standing by his former boss. That's right. Pence told a group of conservative lawmakers yesterday he maintains a close personal friendship with the former president. <laughs> this is significant because of what happened on January 6th and pro-Trump demonstrators coming into the Capitol looking for Mike Pence and Donald Trump tweeting about attacking Mike Pence even during the Capitol riot. But he did not express, I'm told, any ill will towards the former president. Banks told me I got the sense they speak often and maintain the same personal friendship and relationship now that they have for four years. Woo! Staying loyal after he sent a mob to kill you? Man, that shows how committed Mike Pence is to his principles. He won't even abort a friendship. And I don't know where the line is between forgiving and being a doormat, but Mike Pence crossed it a long time ago. I mean, yeah, the Bible says to turn the other cheek, but at the same time, one of the Ten Commandments is, thou shalt not be a bitch ass. I guess at this point, there's nothing that Trump can do to Mike Pence that would make Pence turn on him. They basically have the same relationship that we have with our Alexa. Ah, Alexa, I hate you! I wish you would die! I'm sorry you feel that way. Is there anything else I could help you with? 
And finally, an update on policing in America. One of the big problems is that police are too often called into situations where they should actually be the last resort. So many activists have said that we should find alternatives to cops as first responders. You know, maybe healthcare professionals or community members. And now the NYPD is saying, all right, I hear you, but what about robot dogs? Meet DigiDog, the newest member of the NYPD's Technical Assistance Response Unit. Yes, a robot dog that's hounding city streets, assisting its handlers in saving lives and protecting New York's finest. DigiDog took its first steps here in the Wakefield section of the Bronx today. The four-legged robot was reportedly responding to a home invasion, climbing the stairs of an apartment here on West 227th Street. It allows the NYPD to have eyes and ears and also talk to individuals in life-threatening situations. This allows them to use the least amount of force necessary to resolve that situation. Wow, a robot dog? What a cool way for the police to say they have too much money and should be defunded. And this robot dog comes with tons of features. It's got cameras, it's got a microphone, it's even got an extra knife that it can plant on an unarmed body, all sorts of things. But got to give props to the police for how they're marketing this robot. Oh, look at our adorable dog. No, it's a cop made out of steel. Like, they can call tear gas potty smoke. Doesn't mean it's going to sting any less when they blast you with it. It will be funny, though, to see how people try to bribe a robot police dog. Listen, officer, how about we let this ticket slide and uh, I give you 10 minutes with my laser printer. No questions asked. And look, I'm not saying robot dogs won't ever be useful. I mean, that'd be great to send into a hostage situation. I want a million dollars and a helicopter to get me out of here. You hear me? You guys... What? What do you want? No, I'm not taking you out. I'm doing a hostage thing. Okay, fine. I'll take you to the end of the block and back. Okay, you got that? All right, good boy. Come on. Come on. Good boy. One of the worst stories recently has been the crisis in Texas. But even that had a ray of sunshine, as a bad situation brought out the best in some people. In Houston, two strangers took in a delivery driver for five days after she got stranded during the storm. Wow, last week, Chelsea Timmons says she got stuck outside their home while delivering groceries just as the brunt of that storm moved through. The couple tried to get her a tow truck, but no one showed up, so they opened up their home to her. We're like, just come inside, hang out, we'll figure it out, and, uh, you know, at, at, at some point we realized that uh, we were probably going to have a house guest for a few days, which was fine. Uh, Chelsea made an amazing coconut cake the other day. <laughs> Oh, that is the sweetest, most heartwarming abduction I have ever seen. This is like if the movie Get Out was made by the Hallmark Channel. And you know, these days when everyone is so suspicious and distrustful of strangers, it's really wonderful to hear about a couple that didn't hesitate for a second to help a stranger in need. In fact, you know what? I'm going to write them an email. Dear America friends, I am a Nigerian prince who has lots of money. And you can't help me. <laughs> the only person who isn't a happy story for is the guy who ordered coconuts that never showed up. Because, I mean, he was shivering in his house like, don't worry, kids. We're going to make it through this just fine. Oh, man, just as soon as those coconuts get here. Let's move on to a ray of sunshine from Ohio. A story that starts out scary but ends scarily adorable. An Ohio bomb squad made a surprise discovery responding to a call about a suspicious bag found outside a church. Well, they weren't met with uh, ticking, but purring coming from the bag. Six newborn kittens and their mother were discovered. In a note that says Sprinkles had gone into labor the day earlier. And they're all being cared for. They're all well at the local animal shelter there. Wow. What a relief that must have been. A bunch of kittens is the best thing you can hope to see when you're expecting to see a bomb. I mean, it's like going to your grandpa's funeral, but instead, Beyonce pops out of the casket for a surprise concert. Oh, I mean, it's too bad you didn't get to bury your grandpa, but hey, Beyonce, I've been there. Bad grandpa, bad grandpa. <laughs> oh, it really is great news that this wasn't a bomb. 
Although, after one week with seven cats in your house, you'll wish it had just been a bomb. And look, I know we should be careful, but did this really have to go straight to the bomb squad? I mean, like, it feels like a couple more questions on the 911 call could have helped. Okay, sir, is the bag meowing? It is? All right, then those are kittens, sir. Yeah, that's not a bomb. Okay, bye-bye. 911, what is your emergency? Mm-hmm. Now, is the fire meowing? Yeah, those are kittens, ma'am. Yeah, that's not a fire. Okay, then. Bye-bye. 911, <laughs> what's your emergency? At the same time, I will admit, it is still too early to let our guard down. I mean, bombers are really clever people, so this could all be a long game. You know, you bring home those sweet kittens, you take care of them, you snuggle them, you listen to them purr. They become part of the family, and then one night, ten years from now, you open your eyes, and your cat is on your chest holding a trigger button like, boom, bitch. Yeah. All right, let's move on now from six tiny kittens to one giant sheep, and another great animal rescue story from the week. Rescuers in Australia found a sheep that had close to 78 pounds of wool dragging him down. Look at this guy. He was underweight and all that dragging fleece even covered his eyes. The rescuers took him to Edgar's Mission Farm Sanctuary. That's where he probably received a good shearing. Sheep typically have to be sheared at least once a year to keep them healthy. Look at all that. Talk about the socks and the sweaters. Oh, man. I am so happy for that sheep. Wow. And he must have been relieved, too. I bet he was like, man, thank you. My dick looks so much bigger now. That's incredible, though. Man, it's stupid. <laughs> of wool off of one sheep. That's enough to make one mitten for Bernie Sanders. Before we go, this month is Black History Month. So please consider supporting an organization called Free Black Therapy. Their mission is to connect black therapists with black and African-American individuals who lack adequate funds or health insurance so that they can be treated for free. By supporting free black therapy, you're helping black people in need to get culturally competent mental health care, as well as supporting black therapists. If you're able to help out in any way, then all you have to do is go to the link below. My predictions always come to pass. Always. Always, always, you guys. Well, stay tuned. This has just begun, I'm telling you. Not a rip. It's like I'm trying to understand why the Republicans are so... Well, I shouldn't have to even say that. Everybody already know it's still that white supremacist stuff, white power, and... It's just ridiculous. Ah, this it's unbelievable. The restrictions now that they're planning on. Well, not planning on, they're doing it. Matter of fact, they didn't did it. They have a bill that they have submitted and, and it's voter suppression against black people again, minorities again, because and I knew when he said that, I said, oh, they're going after Georgia. And sure enough, the ringleader. So all these states, right, all these counties are submitting a bill. Now, not, not just one. They want you to have two forms of ID. People barely can get one form of ID. Come on, folks. You won't be able to do early voting in a day in a day of the election. You, you you can't vote or register to vote. Then they cut out souls to the polls day. Right then now, that just shows you right then now. They didn't. They that's a straight all attack against black folks. You want our votes, but you want to eliminate it. I mean. It's to the point like, I don't know. This is some crazy, crazy stuff, Lord. Jesus. Not only Jesus. Excuse me, but Yahshua don't even know. So, Father, Elohim, when you going to send Jesus out to, to get us out of this craziness? Because it's crazy. This is becoming 
crazy, crazy, crazy. Boy, I tell you. This don't want to do right. Instead of the other way around. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And which is not what democracy is supposed to be about. Here's a follow-up. How does democracy survive in this country when one of the two parties, in a two-party system, and their millions of supporters have basically given up on democracy, on truth, on basic facts, on a shared reality, and have just wholeheartedly embraced conspiracism and authoritarianism? Can democracy survive in that scenario? Well, I think the, the bad news is that democracy, these are all direct threats to our democracy here in the United States. But the good news is that our democracy has been very deeply flawed from the beginning. And even right now in its current structure with the Senate, you have millions upon millions upon millions uh, more Americans who are represented by Democrats in the Senate. Democrats and Republicans pretty much are, you know, we're 50-50 in the Senate. And not only that, but just like with the Electoral College, you have the possibility of, and frankly, the reality of minority rule within the Senate. It's an inherently undemocratic institution. The Electoral College is an inherently undemocratic institution that was born of a compromise with um, slave owners back when our country was, you know, first being established and so the good news though is that there's a lot of room for improvement but this will require a degree of massive grassroots organizing um, that that we have not yet seen and the good news though is that that organizing is happening we are seeing organizing starting to happen on unprecedented levels to protect people's basic rights in the united states yeah, a lot of people, a lot of activists traditionally have wanted to talk about climate change and gun control and the economy and de democratic reform has never been kind of high up the list of issues. It just doesn't excite people in the same way. But now, finally, people are getting that. If you don't get that, you don't get anything else. So I think you're right to point to the role of activists. One thing you did last year, which a lot of other Democrats were unwilling to do, is you deployed the F word. You called Donald Trump a fascist, I remember, after the DNC. Uh, would you extend that analysis, that descriptor, to the wider Republican Party, just watching them at CPAC this week, just looking at some of the academic studies that have emerged out of Europe, which suggests the Republican Party in America is similar to far-right parties in Poland and Hungary more than it is to center-right parties in Germany or, or France. Would you extend that F-word to the wider Republican Party that we're now seeing in front of us? Well, you know, I do think um, that fascistic tendencies, and we certainly saw a lot of fascist um, sympathizing, but one thing that I do think is very important to acknowledge is that American white supremacy is very different and unique um, to just the kind of, uh, you know, comparisons to fascism, historical comparisons to fascism yeah. in the past. You know, white supremacy is very much its own power relationship. And I would argue that that is a larger, you know, that more largely informs uh, the current power stru uh, structures and struggles with democracy that we currently have. And so while I do believe um, that there certainly is the streak of fascism, certainly I do believe that Donald Trump uh, met that threshold, I, I actually believe that our deeper problem in the United States has to do with our attachment and protection of white supremacist power structures and, and, and a culture, um, and as well as our governance structures that emerged from white supremacy and the owning of, of black human beings in the United States. And there's a direct through line yeah. with that history to the Electoral College, the establishment of the Senate, and, um, and really the, the expansion of the franchise to the Civil Rights Act in, 19, in the 1960s. I'm so glad you're putting it in historical context because there is this tendency to only talk about authoritarianism or fascism or racism with foreign analogies or European analogies. And Hitler himself, in Mein Kampf, was praising American Jim Crow laws. So America has its own right. uh, unique history, as you point out, doesn't need, doesn't need foreign comparisons. You've spoken out. I mean, look at what happened on January the 6th, if we want to see fascism, authoritarianism in action. You've spoken out very emotionally, uh, passionately in public about what happened on January the 6th, uh, how you thought you were going to die. You ended up sheltering in Representative Katie Porter's office. And she said this about the state she found you in. Have a listen. I'm saying, well, don't worry. I'm a mom. I'm calm. I've got everything here we need. We could live for like a month in this office. And she said, I just hope I get to be a mom. I hope I don't die today. 
Congresswoman, I have to say, that really got to me, and it got to millions of other people I know as well. And the worst part of it is it... Uh, it doesn't matter if you're a bad negotiator, we think. No. If you dress to impress, or even... Is, it, is that you went to Katie Porter's office to hide because you say you didn't feel safe in the secure room with your own Republican House colleagues who you think could have given your location away and got you killed? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I don't think that it is by any means a, you know, a, a stretch of the imagination. We have very limited details, but we do know that members of Congress are being included in the initial inquiries and investigations into who was part of this attack, who collaborated, and potentially, you know, worked with these insurrectionists that were violent, that we knew for a fact had uh, many members of Congress in our sight. And as time goes on, we realize exactly how violent their plans were, including, you know, speculation about trying to gas uh, the, the underground tunnels and basements while having members of Congress trapped inside. And so, you know, it's extraordinarily serious. And not to mention the fact that there are members of Congress who are extremely dangerous. They have talked about and tried sneaking onto, uh, sneaking firearms onto the floor of the House to the point that now every member of Congress has to go through a metal detector in order to exercise our right and our community's right to vote on issues and, and the law of the land and so the fact that we are even at that point because of explicit threats from other members of congress just goes to show that uh, it's not an exaggeration to say that some are are a threat to their colleagues it also puts the whole debate about bipartisanship and reaching across the aisle in a whole new context hard to do that when you're not just politically disagreeing but fearful for your own safety from some of your colleagues um talking about the future of democracy you will be 35 the minimum age required to run for president 23 days before the 2024 presidential election have you considered running for president in 2024 or even 2028 surely it must have you know i i honestly have not (laughs) um i was elected at 28 years old um or you know i won my primary at 28 i was elected in my general election to congress at 29 and um in that time, I, I've just been very much focused, and, uh, and that is what has always been my focus, and it continues to be my focus, and so I, you know, I, I, they, they say, you know, never confirm or deny these things, but I can say it's, it has not been top of mind, <laughs> especially as of late. <laughs> for sure. Uh, Congresswoman, let's take a pause as we have to go to a break, but when we come back in a few minutes, uh, I'll speak to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez about the COVID relief bill and the fight over the minimum wage. So stick around for that. I'll also be speaking with Mary Trump. We'll talk about what her uncle said today at CPAC, but does she still think he may not actually run again in 2024? Plus, you'll only see it here, a world-exclusive on-camera interview with Jamal Khashoggi's fiance. The direct message she has for the Saudi crown prince, that's just there. You're watching the Manny Hassan show on MSNBC and administration. Lots of things in there that progressives like. But the Senate parliamentarian has said the $15 minimum wage cannot be in the bill under the rules of quote unquote budget reconciliation. And the Biden White House says they won't fight that. Your fellow House Democrat Ro Connor is saying Democrats should just override the parliamentarian. Your fellow squad member Ilhan Omar is saying fire the parliamentarian as the Republicans did in 01 to get their tax cuts through. Do you agree with either of them? And if not, what do you think needs to happen now to get that $15 minimum wage passed? You know, I do believe that we should override the parliamentarian. Um, I think that this is a matter of of course and that our our constituents and people across this country put Democrats in power to, among many other things, establish a $15 minimum wage. We have a responsibility to do that. I do not believe that uh, you know the parliamentary uh, the parliamentarians ruling should be really an obstacle to that and I don't believe that we should be um, really tied up about this because our two options are realistically this override the parliamentarian or eliminate the filibuster those are the only two paths that we have in order to actually create substantive change in the United States and that is what people across the country sent us here to do so we we, we should have our number one priority to be on delivering and making good on the promises that we made and not allow 
Democratic senators Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin, uh, who says $11 is enough for his state of West Virginia. Uh, Manchin has attacked you and the squad in the past, uh, denouncing what he calls your crazy socialist agenda. Uh, and yet a majority of West Virginians, according to a poll conducted on behalf of groups that support the wage hike, support you on the minimum wage and not him. So what's your message to Joe Manchin tonight? Listen, I think that um, if any, not just Senator Manchin, but any person who thinks that a $15 minimum wage is the crazy socialist agenda is living in a dystopian capitalist nightmare. And we should not prop that up. We should not continue that. People are sleeping in their cars. Yeah. They can't afford baby formula. There are basic goods that people can't afford to live on on seven dollars and 25 cents thank you thank you deeply shameful yeah. uh, that we are even having this conversation because when you take the minimum wage from several decades ago and you actually account for inflation and productivity gains to today it should be 24 dollars an hour so we need yeah. other democrats to understand how deep of a compromise $15 an hour is. And by the way, this bill has a multi-year phase-in as well. So even if we pass this to progressives discontent, by the way, um, we are talking about a multi-year phase-in, which will you know, really chip away even more. So $15 for his, as you mentioned, his own constituents believe in a $15 minimum wage in almost every pocket of this country you cannot afford rent if you are making minimum wage and in the united states of america you should you know if you are working a full-time job you should be able to afford to live and by the way when we keep a minimum wage artificially low it's at a huge cost to our government and taxpayers as well because there are essentially enormous subsidies to companies like walmart amazon etc in the form of us paying for social safety net programs that would not be necessary if people were paid a living wage to begin with so you're clearly spot on when it comes to the economic analysis but what about the politics here? what do you say to people who say if you pressure joe manchin too much he'll just defect to the republicans and hand them control of the senate basically the reverse of what republican jim jeffords did in 2001. well you know i, I do not believe that um that given Manchin's long tenure in the Senate, that is something that he would personally do. Um, but at the same time, I think it's important to recognize that in the states that Republicans have won, a $15 minimum wage has also passed. Or in states that have elected Democrats, a $15 minimum wage has outperformed those Democrats that have even run. Just look at Florida, where a $15 minimum wage provision outperformed almost everyone on the ballot. And so it's extremely important um, that we understand that this actually isn't a partisan issue. A $15 minimum wage is supported by many Republican voters, by, um, by Democrats, by people with no party affiliation. And we have these discussions about partisanship and bipartisanship. They should really be in the context of everyday people who support this uh, rather than yes. kind of individuals in Washington. So, I have to ask about a big story in the news. The left, progressives, have long been critical of Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo of your great state of New York. He has now been accused by two women, two former aides, of sexual harassment, something he denies. And he's been accused by the state attorney general of undercounting thousands of COVID deaths in New York nursing homes. And he's being investigated by the FBI and the U.S. 2020. Nice to meet you. Wow. People, we got a lot to talk about. <laughs> but this one something in the morning, I'm going to bed. Well, till now. <laughs> we have a busy day. Have the stuff that I wanted to do. The time going by so fast, y'all. Ten years ago, I saw an old paycheck I had. And I was making $15 an hour. Right. No, not 10. Almost 15. Yeah, 15 years ago. 
And y'all still fussing about giving people fifteen dollar minimum wage? Man, come on now. If this not the modern day slavery, I don't know what it is. That's all it says. The modern day slavery, man. They want to change the voting laws. People working two jobs, sleeping in their cars. I mean, all kind of financial hiccups. It's like the help is only helping the, the rich. And they're sitting back laughing, being greedy. Yeah, they give their donations and to organizations and all of the other good stuff. But, you know, all of that don't even reach the people that really need help, man. Don't really need help. Hmm. Oh, I tell you. Jesus. That sure help your people. But they got a crowd to you. Can't take this for granted. You gotta give God the glory and thank you for every day. Jesus, you just like you got to walk, walk with me, talk with me, sleep with me. Nice. I don't know about nobody else, but I'm understanding more and more. My f- people from Saints, the motherboard. Deaconess. Baby. You got to breathe, Jesus. (laughs) You got to breathe, Jesus. Because this world will eat you up and chew you out. And leave you for the next one to come. And chew you up again. And spit you out. They wasn't telling no lies. Right in front of our eyes, we see the injustice, the equality, man. This white power thing, this white supremacist that's undergirding everything that's happening in this country. And I don't care what they say and what they do. Until they get it right, Especially the boys in the blue. Until they get it right with me and you. Especially the black folks of this country. Who built this country for free. (laughs) That's right. Until they do right by every single black family in this country. That was born in this country forefathers were slaves until that reparation come man come on (laughs) you ain't seen nothing yet world America you gonna bow America and lift itself up as its own golden calf you gonna bow America you gonna bow to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Cause at this present moment you think you are the God. No, you're not.
race and income really determine your access to resources. Um, and that's no different with uh, COVID. Studies show more than 30% of black adults don't have broadband internet, leaving many without information online about where and how to get vaccinated. If you don't have great high-speed internet, you don't have a computer, how can you jump in line to make an appointment? Black residents are significantly more likely than white residents to live more than a mile from the closest vaccination facility. Researchers also found black people are less likely than whites to live near a pharmacy, clinic, hospital, or health center that can administer COVID-19 vaccines. Over 50% of the Chicago black communities were so-called pharmacy deserts, low-income neighborhoods where pharmacies are far from the population and people don't have regular access to vehicles, compared with just 5% in white communities. San Francisco's pharmacy desert is zip code 94124. 92% of the population is black and Hispanic, and there's only one retail pharmacy for the more than 35,000 people who wow. live there. Where do they go? if they don't have a personal or primary care physician? And the answer in many cases is there's nowhere to go. That's right. Many black neighborhoods don't even have a pharmacy. There are so few pharmacies that I'm surprised Republicans haven't made them voting locations. And this is especially messed up because in most white neighborhoods, there are pharmacies on oh, every corner, yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. One time, I went into a Walgreens that had a CVS inside of it. <laughs> and it's also crazy how many people still don't even have broadband. Before America makes vaccination appointments dependent on high-speed internet, uh, maybe they should sign everyone up for high-speed internet. And then a month later, once those people are done going through all the internet porn, then they can get around to making an appointment. <laughs> so, if you don't have the internet to schedule an appointment and you don't have a local pharmacy to administer the shot, what about the transportation to a vaccine distribution center? What do you do? I mean, at that point, you might as well just make the vaccine yourself, which I tried, by the way, but I didn't have any mRNA in my house, so I just used barbecue sauce. I mean, it didn't work, but my blood tastes delicious. But for the black community, the barriers to getting vaccinated go way beyond the lack of resources. There's also a psychological barrier. Yeah. Many black people are just reluctant to get the shot. Because the truth is, they trust the medical community less than they trust the Golden Globes. And that suspicion may seem irrational to outsiders, but trust me, it is grounded in some very real history. There is, especially among the black community, a horrible history of mistreatment that has created distrust in doctors and medicine. African Americans were experimented on, used essentially to justify the cruelty of slavery, creating science. This book from 1851, titled The Natural History of Human Species, echoed one of the most prevalent and dangerous beliefs in medicine at the time that black people did not feel pain or anxiety. The federally sanctioned Tuskegee experiment sought to examine the long-term effects of syphilis by letting infected black men go untreated with no regard to the suffering it caused. There was also Henrietta Lacks, a mother of five who in 1951 sought treatment for a tumor. She passed away later that year. Scientists, without her consent or her family's knowledge, harvested her cells for medical research. The ties between race and medical treatment have lasted hundreds of years, and they're still alive in medicine today. The University of Virginia conducted a study of 200 white medical students in 2016. 40% thought black skin was thicker than white skin. The Whoa. study also revealed that some doctors think black patients feel less pain. Uh, excuse me? Yeah. Black people don't feel pain? That's what happened with me. Well, I guess you've never met a man named Michael Jordan. Sure. He's been crying about everything for 10 years. I mean, black people invented... Don't tell me I'm not hurting. My leg hurting. You gonna tell me... Like How you gonna tell me my feet ain't work? ...has been through some shit. But this is why so many black people are suspicious of the medical community. Because that community has betrayed them again and again and again. And you're not gonna trust people who have betrayed you that many times. Uh, unless you're Mike Pence. But unfortunately, this mistrust actually hurts black people because these vaccines are safe. Believe me on this, white people would never let Martha Stewart get one if it was dangerous. I mean, if something ever happened to her, they would have no idea how to match their centerpieces to their napkin holders. It would be chaos. And because this anti-vaccine sentiment is hurting the black community, black leaders are now stepping in to try and get the message out through an institution that the community does trust the church. 
black churches have long been a source of guidance and strength for the community it serves. It's the reason why black clergy across the country are teaming up with medical professionals and local officials to educate and encourage people to get the COVID-19 vaccine. Dr. Anthony Fauci in a virtual face-to-face -face with Baltimore's faith and community leaders. We need your help. Part of a strategy aimed at getting a message in to the black community. On Friday, black pastors from several Boston churches received their first round of the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine. We're also here to educate and reassure the minority community the vaccines are safe. Reverend Liz Walker says she preaches about three things, truth, love, and lowering anxiety. Her focus now is spreading the truth about the vaccine. Half her congregation says they won't take it. Some believe God will save them. I always respond that yes, you should put your trust in God, but remember, God uses doctors. That's right. God uses doctors. I mean, not all doctors. You know, Dr. Phil is the devil's work, but doctors who are actually doctors, well, they're doing the Lord's work. And props to people like Dr. Fauci for speaking to black churches and for not doing that thing that white people do when they visit a black church where they start talking like Martin Luther King Jr. And I can tell you that we as a people will get to herd immunity. <laughs> hey, man, you can just use your normal voice. <laughs> oh, thank God. Oh, my voice was killing me. And if you ask me, black church is the number one place to reach black people. I mean, the only other place that would make sense is a versus on Instagram and a black barbershop. But that one wouldn't work. So why are they trying to stop black churches from going to vote? Nah, man, listen up. Polio is the greatest vaccine of all time. The hell it is, man. What about mumps? Mumps? Man, don't bring that mumps bullshit into my shop. Look, the point is, encouraging vaccination through the church is a great idea. It's actually something that The Daily Show wants to get behind, which is why we asked Pastor Roy to help us out. Thank y'all for logging on to the Lord this morning. <laughs> it has come to my attention that some of y'all are looking at the COVID vaccine the way Jesus looked at Judas during the last supper. Suspicious. <laughs> I understand that the medical community has done unholy things to black people, but I'm here to tell you to put your trust in the trinity of Moderna, Pfizer, and Johnson and Johnson. Oh no, he didn't. If you get the roller, Jesus can't put his hands on you. He's social distancing. So I want you to let Jesus <laughs> into your soul. Them people stupid. Look, I don't think y'all hear me. I said I want you to let Jesus and that vaccine into your soul. See, I need some help in here. Somebody give me my soldiers of the Lord. I want you to baptize yourself in the healing waters of the vaccine. Uh-uh. Get your vaccine. Get your vaccine. Oh, no, they didn't. Shout the Antichrist and let in the antibodies. Water is divine. Acting is divine. Water is divine. Them people stupid. Acting is divine. I want you vaccine atheists to believe. Preach, brother. Travel. Travel know he got mess, a hot mess. And it made a whole quiet song about the vaccine. I can't. I can't. I ain't taking that mess. I ain't taking that mess. I'll just get that COVID test. 
when it come back negative, I can shout. <laughs> oh my lord, this is so ironic how they just do things, man, and they won't use the black folks for what they want and not for what we need. Now y'all gonna go to the church to get black people to take the vaccine, but then for voting, you're going to prohibit a church for bringing the church to the polls. Man, come on. Come on. What's really going on? What's really going on, Lord? This is ridiculous. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. All right, y'all. Later.